0: Hey, welcome to the Rooted to Live podcast. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode. And uh, at the time of this recording, we're coming uh, close to Christmas, less than a week away. And Christmas is a favorite, my favorite time of year. Uh, However, this year is very different. I actually can't think of a time in my life where Christmas hasn't seemed so wonderful. My family, we usually start celebrating Christmas, observing Christmas, uh, November 1st, uh, starting to the Christmas movies and music and all that, and uh, with the circumstances of our lives and the world around us, um, it just seems uh, a challenge to do so, to do so well, and um, in the last episode uh, uh, about a month ago, I was talking about Thanksgiving and, you know, what is there to be thankful for in in light of the circumstances of life in 2020. And even since that recording, uh, harder and tougher things have happened in my own life. You know, when you think about Christmas, oftentimes we think about what are your Christmas wishes? What do you wish for? And, um, you know, as a kid, of course, I would wish for uh, the, the, the toys I had in mind or the video games in mind. I used to collect um, baseball cards, basketball cards, and I'd always want those things. I can honestly say I never wished for socks and underwear, but for the first time in my life, uh, about three years ago, I started requesting socks for Christmas. How lame I've become. Maybe I always was. What is your wish for Christmas this year? Just to get through it, just to get to the end of the year, to make it to a new year. And oftentimes the gifts we are given though at Christmas are, we don't even realize what we need until we come to the end of ourselves or someone has something in mind for us and then we finally receive that gift thinking I, I could really use that or I needed that. And it's hard to know. I mean, most people, we just, we just want things to go well right now, right now in life. Some of us need healing, physical healing, spiritual healing. Some of us need work or uh, finances. To, we need money. Um, what is it you need? What is it you wish for? I think uh, for me, coming into this new year, and I'm just so disappointed and discouraged uh, with how the year is ending and all that's being missed out on, and we had lots of family plans, everything's been canceled, our own faith fellowship gatherings, the community of people that we're, we do life with, if you will, uh, we can't meet, and sickness abounds, and discouragement, And so something's been coming to my mind today to share, and um, it fits within the Christmas narrative, if you will. And uh, we can find, most likely, one of our greatest needs, we we can find it in the Christmas story. And I want to look at a passage of Scripture. Uh, I want to share a passage of Scripture with you as you listen. Uh, And it's a famous Christmas passage, Isaiah chapter 9 and in, in Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 7 we we see a passage that's often recited at Christmas I want to give you some context though about this passage and so Isaiah was an 8th century prophet and um, he was like a political uh, religious counselor to the kingdom of Judah during the reign of four kings actually and uh uh, that's the best way I can describe. Is uh, someone that spoke on behalf of God uh, to God's people, all right? And there's a tough circumstance surrounding uh, this passage, this prophecy that's being written in Isaiah chapter nine. And uh, some more information about Isaiah is that uh, he was married, he had two sons, and when God called him to prophesy, I mean, Isaiah was always willing and ready. Uh, He was known to condemn the empty traditions of his people and their idolatry. And Isaiah foresaw the coming captivity of his countrymen as they distanced themselves from God and God's ways. And the kingdom of God, in the sense of his people on earth, was divided between Judah and Israel, um, I think then called Samaria. And around 735 BC, the, the kings of Damascus and Samaria asked Judah's King Ahaz to ally with them against Assyria. And when Ahaz refused, the two kings attacked Judah. But rather than trusting in the Lord as Isaiah counseled, King Ahaz sought protection through an alliance with pagan Assyria. It seemed like a great success for Judah at the time, but within 30 years, this ally would ruin Judah. When Assyria attacked Jerusalem in 701 BC, King Hezekiah was now on the throne, and he believed Isaiah's prophecies and turned to God for help. And God saved uh, King Hezekiah and his people, saved Jerusalem. And all of this trouble, the prophecies typically pointed uh, to the grace of God. He pointed his own people to the grace of God. And so with that in mind, here's Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time. He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, But in the latter time he was made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. I remember sharing this recently, just a few weeks ago. Whenever I read that verse, a light is shown, a, a great light is shown. I can remember growing up uh, singing in Christmas cantatas in choir, even in middle school, high school, in the church choir. And I'll never forget there's this one solo a guy, a gentleman had, and he had basically one line in the solo, and it was something like, A light has done. I'll never forget it. Isaiah chapter 9. Verse two: A great light will shine. A light is done. Verse three: You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his, of his for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now maybe verse six sounds familiar. This prophecy is written nearly 800 years before Jesus' earthly arrival, before Jesus was born. As Israel's enemy, the Assyrians, were taking more and more of God's people into captivity, Isaiah prophesies that uh, God is greater than the enemy and will bring victory. And it's an encouraging reminder of hope to God's people to remember their Messiah was indeed coming and will establish his kingdom. But how will God bring victory to his people? The text tells us, Isaiah says, the prophecy says, through the birth of a child. And so, as I see it, for me, as I've studied scripture, to me, we have some double meaning going on here. There's a near-immediate fulfillment in one sense, and then a greater fulfillment to come. Who is the child? For the people living in 8th century Judah, King Hezekiah's birth signified God's presence with them in the most difficult circumstances. There was a rescue, so to speak. But Hezekiah was only a type of Messiah because all the promises concerning the Messiah were not fulfilled in him, which points us beyond him to another king. I believe the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of hope found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, verses 1 through 7, are found, the promises are found in Jesus Christ, who will achieve all what is said here and more in a way that no mere human ever could Consider again how the child is described. Verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David over his kingdom, to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. No single king of Israel has ever called all these things. And so when we consider what is said of the child king, only Jesus can come through. Isn't that right? So in this episode, I'd like to do is I want to focus on the climactic title concerning the child to be born, the Prince of Peace. And I don't know if you know this or not, but this is the first of Isaiah's 25 references of peace. The child to be born is the one who will have the true right to reign and rule and will usher in lasting peace. So now a form of of fulfillment of this prophecy was to come in King Hezekiah, but when he ascended the throne God's people were spared from the enemies, the Assyrians, and there was a form of peace, but that was only a shadow, a type of peace. He certainly was not the Messiah who brought peace for all time. And and I believe that that fulfillment of this prophecy is, is found in Jesus Christ. However, some question in a world filled with war and violence and sickness, discouragement, how is it possible that it can be said that Jesus is the embodiment of peace? I mean, I have Christ in my life. He is my savior. I've known him since at least age seven. Why all the discouragement? My, My dad's been in and out of the hospital with COVID. My grandma passed away. My son's special needs issues are continuing to expand and grow and manifest themselves and run down and tired my i got covid my family's getting it and had it what's going on how can how can i claim how can i ever proclaim to the people that listen to this podcast uh, around the world how can i proclaim that christ is the embodiment of peace how can it be said that it's interesting because at christmas time we usually sing christmas hymns for those that grew up in the tradition of gathering in church and singing hymns and songs and spiritual songs and maybe you remember lines such as like all is calm and all is bright or sleep in heavenly peace maybe even lines like the cattle are lowing or um no crying he makes when we think of these lines in the christmas hymns i mean are these songs really in touch with the reality we should ask no crying really Was physical safety and world political harmony the version of peace God intended to bring at the child's birth? Is that what happened that very day, that very night? The Hebrew word for peace, you may know, is shalom. It's often used in reference to an appearance of calm and tranquility of individuals, groups, and nations. Maybe a version of shalom uh, you parents that are listening may know of is, um, what about like... um, the version of peace or shalom at bedtime for parents after they've put their kids down. I can remember when our kids were younger, as we put them down, we might hear mom or dad, you know, uh, you know, 10 times that night. But I know my wife, she hears her name mom or mommy a thousand times a day asking, 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 asking. asking. And then there's bedtime and the bedtime routine and story and prayer and singing and then asking for a drink and then another drink. And then I need to go to the bathroom and then another drink. I'd imagine as young parents that listen to this podcast, or if you can remember uh, having children uh, uh, that were younger, that is a form of peace, isn't it? When it's bedtime, Uh, but that's a form of peace, not what is necessarily promised in the Messiah. So the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. It's a form of peace. Uh, The Greek word for peace means unity or accord. This word is used to describe one of the objectives of the church, for instance, But not necessarily what Isaiah is pointing to. So the deeper, more foundational meaning of peace is the spiritual harmony brought about by an individual's restoration with God. And I would say that this is the kind of peace found in the Christmas story. True peace. Let me read for you another famous passage related to the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, chapter 2, verses 8-14. through It says... "'wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. "'Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host "'appeared to the angel, praising God and saying, "'Glory to God in the highest heaven "'and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests.'" What an incredible message of the Savior. A message that includes the peace that is found in the Messiah. The heavenly hosts declare peace on earth. Uh, Maybe you grew up with the translation that says goodwill toward men, or peace on whom his favor rests, or peace among those with whom he's pleased. Peace for whom? Peace for who? Again, most people take this statement of peace on earth to mean like a universal declaration of peace toward all humanity. Like a general uh, message from God, hey, we're cool. Like the angels are saying that the whole earth is now peaceful. Yet, that interpretation ignores reality, doesn't it? If you look around town, look into your own life or catch the news, things don't seem that peaceful in the world, do they? Maybe even less so in your own mind, in your own heart. Some people believe the angels are just describing a peace for that very evening, like things are calm and peaceful, as the old songs tell us, just for that night. But a more specific interpretation may help. Peace toward men on whom God's sovereign pleasure rests. How can God be pleased with us? What pleases Him? Well, the Bible tells us. In Hebrews chapter 11, that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So first and foremost, God is pleased as we put our faith, trust, or believing in or into him. And he has made a way for us to do just that, hasn't he? He moved first. He worked first. He moved to us in Jesus. So the good news of Jesus Christ's arrival is for everyone. But the peace mentioned here only comes upon those that receive the gift of Jesus Christ and the peace he brings we we receive christ by faith or trust and when we trust in him we encounter his peace even in the midst of life's troubles but especially a peace knowing that we are in relationship with him forever i mean that's salvation isn't it so the work of jesus is peace for those who trust in him Romans chapter 5 makes reference to this. uh, Chapter 5, starting uh, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith, and to this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of god not only so but we also glory in our sufferings because now that suffering produces we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope and hope does not put us into shame because god's love has been poured out into our hearts through the holy spirit who has been given to us You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone may possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Hmm. This is the peace we have. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul is saying. Jesus' sacrificial death and resurrection for our sake provides more than just heaven one day. It's not about a destination, but about a relationship, about a, about a person. and allows us to have a vibrant daily relationship with God. Christ's arrival, his birth, death, resurrection, allows us to have a vibrant daily relationship via his Holy Spirit because Christ is alive. And in that Holy Spirit manifests, by God's Holy Spirit manifests God's character in us, filling our lives with God's character, love, joy, and peace. So this makes peace more than an emotion, but character. And these characteristics of God, love, joy, and peace, they are reflections of his presence in us, spilling out over into our lives with other people. Here's an example. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us, um, Paul writes to a a brand new church, a brand new group of believers. And it applies today. As a prisoner for the Lord, Paul writes, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This doesn't happen without the work of the Holy Spirit in us and the peace we have with God thanks to the work of Jesus. Peace doesn't mean easy or trouble-free life. In fact, Jesus never promised easy. He promises trouble. He told his disciples, you will have trouble and you will have trials. And they did. And so to whoever and to anyone who will call upon the Lord, he promises trouble, but he also promises himself. Anyone besides me experienced trouble this year? Anybody in trouble right now? For those who will trust in Christ, in the face of life's trouble, is given the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. No matter what hardships we are faced with, we can ask for him for peace. It's like asking for more of him in our life. The peace doesn't come from our own strength or the bettering of a situation around us, but from the Lord. And this is why Isaiah wrote concerning those who have God's peace. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3, he writes, You will keep in perfect peace... Those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. You may remember a translation that says those whose minds are stayed on you. The reason why peace arrives to those whose minds are stayed on the Lord is because he is truth and truth informs peace. Especially to our circumstantial anxiety. Isn't it true? Wouldn't it be true if, if I were to say that our minds are focused on what we value most, our goals, our desires, I know for me, uh, on Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve is the longest night of the year. I've spoken about this for years. I actually think sometimes the clock goes backwards on Christmas Eve. I could not sleep on Christmas Eve. My mind was focused on what am I going to get for Christmas morning? What's going to happen? What kind of presents am I going to receive? What's going to be in those packages? And I couldn't sleep all night long. uh, Probably to at least middle school. Couldn't sleep. Usually the mind is set on what and that which is most important to us. Isn't that true? Circumstances, work, family, money, ambitions. Sometimes our mind is stayed in our addictions. And from these, we often try to find peace. But because we aren't sure, we're uncertain of what we're going to get or what's going to happen even next week. And because we're not all knowing, our anxiety arises because we may or may not get what we want. Our goal isn't big enough to be God. And so we would settle for a lesser peace just by settling for lesser things than God. so we try to settle for a lesser version of peace and we hope that through all of our goals we through these things we find peace so we press more into them only to realize that peace never arrives. and all of us can relate to trying to seeking peace and that which will never come through for us and God's peace continually wells up within those. Who actively trust in Jesus, or whose minds are stayed on Him, on the Prince of Peace. And it's God's peace that passes the understanding of onlookers when we trust in Jesus, even in the midst of the storms of life. It's in those moments when focusing on who Jesus is and what He's done and what He's promised, and then viewing our life through those things rather than through circumstances. When we look at the circumstances through the lens of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, peace is what is going to well up, even in the midst of a tough storm of life. We will never find peace looking on that which cannot inform peace. We try to make things God and they just, they're just not big enough. The promised peace and the favor of God rests on those who I, whose eyes and trust on the Prince of Peace. We are welcome to set our eyes on anything or anyone to find what we're looking for for peace. But if we want peace, it'll only come on our eyes or of our hearts around Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And when we do, even the most unpeaceful of circumstances, the most unpeaceful of Christmas times, will not take away the true peace that is cultivated in us by the power of the Holy Spirit because of the Prince of Peace. And I want to say to you, I want to say Merry Christmas to you. I want to say peace to you. I want peace for myself. And so another way of saying this, I want Christ for myself. I want him to grow in the longings of my life. I want my eyes to be on him and what he has said and what he has promised. And I want to tell the truth to how I feel. So that character of peace may grow richly in my heart and i pray the same for you as you listen to this that coming into this new year that you will grow in peace that you will grow in creating peace and making peace because of the peace you've been afforded in christ jesus set your eyes on him set your eyes on the prince of peace merry christmas